0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel we have Subrat Mishra. Oh, hello. We also have Sani Yusuf,
1: Da-da-da-da-da-da. i
0: am Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. I don't have my own jingle. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Michael Vladkey. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going all right. I always feel bad cuz I know I'm saying your name wrong, but I I don't know ah. how to get it right, so. I, I, don't, I don't even know myself, so it's good.
1: Don't, don't worry, Charles says everybody's name is wrong. Clear yeah, I,
0: I I do. I, I just make it up as I go story of my life. But yeah, we uh we got you on. Why don't you first just remind people who you are cuz we haven't had John for a while and then we'll we'll dive in and we'll talk about Bryce. Right. Yes, I, I can do that. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com.
2: My name is Michael Daffy. You can stick with Michael in German or Michael in English. I guess it's easier than my last name, as you, as you already realize. I'm a trainer and consultant. I have a small company with a high expertise in Angular, reactive programming. We do a lot of performance audits. This is like a framework and technology agnostic, so we basically Run a lot of performance audits on, on bigger shops and other stuff where you really need that. And on top of that, so the last, I guess, one and a half, two years, I have a lot of focus on performance, in particular in Angular. So we shipped a set of tools that, that help you to make faster, more reactive Angular, more responsive Angular applications. And I guess this is also the reason why you, you asked me to come here if this is correct. Yeah, in fact,
0: it was kind of interesting because we were looking at this uh, we were talking before the show about the the push pipe articles that you were writing and the change detection and I think we're all just a little bit confused about what this is and what it does for us. So, uh, do you want to just give us kind of the high-level view on what the push pipe is and how it affects change detection and all the stuff that, that we kind of read through on the the blog real quick? we can
2: do that so i would kick off this whole conversation with what we have now like what is the angular way angular vanilla way of running change detection and i will instantly <laughs> throw in two passwords pull and push based architecture and now let's with that two passwords uh, in mind let's let's start and let's discuss how Angular's change detection is running and why it is pool based It's a lot of technical stuff i try to break it down as good as i can and you will for sure interrupt me or give me the one or other hint question where i should dig into more if i miss stuff but okay other than this i will start with who is triggering every rendering of angular and this is maybe stuff that people or some people already know Um, we have the application reference the application ref service this service is basically connected our root component, the application root component, the most upper component, the component that maintains and contains the whole app. And when you call application ref tick, then you basically run, not run, but you check from top to bottom the whole components tree and every single leaf and child component if there is a change or not. So in Angular, we can run change detection in two different ways. You can say my change detection is the default way of doing that. And whenever you have like your whole application in change detection on default and you call application ref tick, it will re-render everything. It will re-render all the components, the leaves, the lists, even stuff that has no change, no effect, nothing, it will re-render and re-evaluate all those components. So, when it comes to change detection, you maybe also heard that there is another change detection strategy. And this change detection strategy is not called default as the default change detection strategy, but it is called on push. And on push is maybe a little bit misleading because this change detection strategy should be named immutable change or only on immutable change because what it does is if you put an input binding to a component and then you call re application ref tick to re-render the whole application, those components with change detection on push will only re-render if their input binding, like the new value that you pass in from the parent to that child, has a, has a new instance compared to the previous change detection run. So when I put an array there and I never change the array, it will not re-render this list component. And when then mm-hmm. I click add new item. I will basically construct a new array out of all the old items and add the new added item into that array and then forward it again to the component. And then I introduced an immutable change and this change is then propagated downwards to this child component and this child component and most probably all the child's child components will re-evaluate. So now we discussed change detection for bottom change detection and on push and what i try (laughs) to explain is how does the pull and push based uh, working comes here into play so let's figure out i explained to you like when we call application rep tick this and this is happening we already hopefully hopefully i made a good job understood what change detection strategy on push is like multiple data changes in input bindings, and now I will try to explain to you why Angular's change detection is pool-based, and maybe also why React's change detection is pool-based, but let's stick with Angular for this this (laughs) session (laughs) here, you know, don't, don't overdo it. So, you have, for example, a small counter in one component. Whenever you click the button, it counts up by one, so what happens inside of Angular, in the guts of Angular, there is ngZone, a service that is connected to another third-party library that is called Zone JS. Mm-hmm. And ZoneJS provides us an execution context across asynchronous and synchronous code. You can basically track what happens in which context, and you don't lose uh, that state. This is one thing, and the other thing is that ZoneJS basically patched Every single browser API that is asynchronous. And I will name some of them a promise, a button event listener, an event listener, an animation frame, a set timeout, uh, anything that is asynchronous in the browser. And we can open up uh, Mozilla Developer Network and see how many of those asynchronous functions are there. I mean, I named three, there are like 12 to 17 things. That zone really patches on top of the other stuff. And this happens when you bootstrap Angular. Okay. So what does, now we know that zone.js is here somewhere in the background, does some magical patching of APIs. What does API patching mean? API patching means that, for example, let's stick with the small counter component. If you click it, it counts up. The button has an event listener. When you bootstrap this component, Angular will add an event listener to this DOM element, and whenever you click the DOM element, Angular will call the callback. This is what Angular does for us. Under the hood, whenever Angular adds this event listener, phone.js already patched the browser's native add event listener method. What does patching mean? They took the original add event listener method, wrapped it with their own thing and then they say whenever somebody calls add event listener i will do whatever the browser will do plus i sneaked in my custom logic that i can determine okay there was a button click in a component from this and that event listener and i need to somehow tell angular that this button click maybe will cause a state change and this is the second target that zonejs does for us It hooks the patched API and Angular, uh, it uh, merges them together, it connects them, and Angular will realize when we click the button and say variable plus one, Angular will realize that and will re-render the app. And now I can explain why why it is pool-based. So when I click the button and I assign a new value to my counter, I assign two instead of one. What happens then is the button click basically not only updates the state but also starts something internally that is called mark view dirty. And mark view dirty will take the view that the component that is currently in and mark the flag that tells you you should re-render that component as dirty. The flag will also be dirty if you pass in an input binding that is immutable, right? So You have this flag on every component boundary and either the button click or an input binding would flip this flag to true and then Angular knows you have to re-evaluate, re-render the templates there in these components. So I click the button in this very deeply nested component tree and Angular calls dirty. Then it goes to the parent component and calls dirty. Then it goes to the parent component and it calls Mark View 30. <laughs> Guess what next? It goes to the parent component and calls Mark View yeah. 30. In the end, you know it, we end up at the very top of your component tree, at the application app, ref, app root component. And then Angular kicks in and calls application ref tick. And then, no matter if you have everywhere change detection on push or not, you have this path from somewhere deep in your component tree. Dirty mark to the very top, and Angular will re-render at least this path from top to bottom to the very component where you have the button and the click binding. So if you step a step back now and look at the, the explanation that I did, the button click is like an HTTP request to the server. I click the button and I request to the Angular server a rendering. Angular. I request the rendering and Angular responds to my request with the rendering and says, yes, here you go. I give you the rendering and I render everything top down. So I pull a rendering to myself. This is what Angular is doing by in its native way. This pull
3: is change detection. A lot. <laughs> Any
2: questions? Right. Yeah, yeah,
3: good. yeah, so what I was thinking was uh, like it was only changing the... The, the component and the child, but I didn't know that it's, it's components up to the yeah, root. parent component also. Yeah. So, if you so have like, like a, one node, it will only change. Come again? Means if, you, if if I'm changing on the fifth child, and so it, it will just change that uh, row row from the parent. It will change everything. If you have a
2: nested structure where you have 10 levels of nested components and you click that button on the 10th level, it will reevaluate from level one to level 10, everything, because you have to pull the change through the whole component tree to the very place you want to render it, even if you I, have change detection on push. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is something that, that not a lot of people are aware, and this is like really one of the biggest performance bottlenecks that you have, or one of the first ones that you could fix in a simple way. Yeah, one thing though, and and Sonny brought this up
0: before we got started. Was that for the most part, most of the Angular apps that at least I've played with, they're they're not so big, and so this the the performance issue, if it's there, isn't something that I really notice. So
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I another work? Sorry, Michael. Uh, one question I always have is: it seems to me the the, the I, I like the idea of the arm push. I, I've tried to manually mm-hmm. do it right, but I also I. I think one of the reasons why also the on push is very like I guess I don't use it as much is because also I don't use a lot of NgRx and I think once you use a lot of when you want NgRx is standard for you, then the on push just makes sense because why would you not want to take advantage of that extra benefit right that you just get out of the box? So I don't know maybe Michael you wanted to
2: to you're the expert you wanted to share more on. Yeah, sure. So. RxAngular is a library that focuses on two different targets. One of them is performance. So the tools that we ship include latest cutting-edge technologies. If we speak about other frameworks like React, React ship concurrent mode, for example, and other stuff, we basically leverage the same potential, ship the same technology set. We can also ship these concurrent strategies and so on. But a second part, and this is what I want to stress out, is we also focus on developer experience. So I want to pick up your example, Sonny, where you said, well, the tools that you ship, like the PushPipe, the let Directive, the RX4 that we will ship in, in the near future, they only pay off for me if, I, if I'm fully reactive, if I really use only NGRX or any other uh, state management tool. Like in, in general, nearly any state management tool is push-based use last at the moment. I would say no. it's not only because of that. it is in general like if you look at it from the developer experience perspective, you can say RxAngular Angular pays off whenever I have to mix imperative and reactive coding styles. Imperative is the stuff that we are all used to, like our object-oriented, state-driven, <laughs> mutable architecture that we run here. And uh, the reactive approach is different, it has a lot of functional concepts in it, and it is pushing values to you instead of you, you pulling them, and, or instead of calling set and get. And as Angular ships, a couple of things like the router, forms, reactive forms, lifecycle hooks, and other stuff that are exposed as an observable or think about this the, the easiest piece an event emitter is basically a push based thing that you can take and subscribe on it. right and you do that in Angular when you create an output binding it is an event emitter, but internally it just calls subscribe on something like a subject. So you always have a mix of imperative and reactive programming styles and the clutter and pain nowadays is that Angular does not provide proper glue. Whenever you have a router parameter that changes over time in a very tiny application, you end up to put the word subscribe somewhere Then you end up in going to the lifecycle hook on destroy make sure you clean it up there. If you're lucky, you did not use any switch map, any higher order flattening operators that could even with the on destroy mess up your application, introduce a memory leak, like all that stuff could happen. And if you are even... Even if you're expert, what you end up with in any tiny application that you write, as soon as you touch any reactive part in Angular, and there are plenty of them, as you know, like router reactive forms, etc., you have to deal with that mix of imperative and reactive programming. You are forced to subscribe somewhere. You put a behavior subject here, you call next there. In the end, your application does not feel good. If you look at the code, it is always boilerplate. I mean, if if you're used to enter you know what I mean with boilerplate. You have to write so much code on top just to make it working. And then you have to be aware of all the memory leaks. And then you have to be aware of the tiered-on logic. what we say in our XAngular is never subscribe. We ship basically tools that precisely define the one and only use case where it makes sense that you did, that you subscribe to it. But even for those use cases, it, we ship tools that makes it irrelevant for you to think about subscribe. You just like figure out what is your thing. Is it state? Is it a side effect? And then you use either our state management helpers or side effect helpers, but they will take over all the clutter of subscription handling for you and you can end up with a one-liner for basically any problem that would normally require at least seven lines with life cycles with cleanup and so on and so forth so i guess this is like independent of performance and change detection and whatever a huge benefit that you will start to love very quickly like all the people that are like why not just trying it out for one tiny component one, one tiny project and then you will see how it goes you really 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 feel and realize what we did i cannot imagine a single person that like cool but i will not use it from now on they are really much of a code reduction you can get how much safer it is to combine those technologies because life cycle uh, sorry memory leaks and all the other stuff the clutter the boilerplate is gone you can focus on your problem just focus on solving your problems and not on setting up any other of those boilerplate these things.
0: So let me back up just a minute, because we talked about kind of the zone JS approach and, you know, how that kind of climbs up your component tree, mm-hmm. but we didn't really talk about how the, the push pipe setup works. Like,
2: how, nice. how does that work differently? Nice. Thanks, Charles, that you that you brought it up. Otherwise, we we we'll would get like start, we started a small detour. I realized. <laughs> yeah, we, we
0: the, kind of got, the, got a little ahead of of, of the yeah. conversation, which is fine because we're talking about a benefit, and it's like okay, you know, I get cleaner code, I might get better performance. <laughs> there are a handful of things that I'm probably going to see that make it worth me considering going this way. But now I want to know what it looks like.
2: Yeah. The first experiment, what we did, and this is also basically what is shipped in the ngrx repository under the component package. I basically developed in the of last year a package for the ngrx team that was called component, it's still online. And this package shipped two building blocks in a very rough and very sketchy way uh, the push pipe and the let's directive. And you basically asked me about the push pipe, How does it work? So what I will do now is I will try to pull in the second term from the beginning. I said there is pull and push based architecture. I hopefully managed to explain verbally without any slide, how the change detection normally works and why you pull the changes down to you. Now let me explain to you how a push based change detection could work. So imagine you have... Let's make it super simple, an HTTP request in the middle of your component tree and you want to just render the result, the list in the component. What you do normally is you you, uh, you say, I take this observable, I buy or, or the promise, it even works with promises, right? We don't have to talk RxJS here. We can stick with a promise if it is easier. It works the same. We basically support anything. You have a promise of this HTTP request. You plug it in the view. You use the async pipe, and then zoom. When the HTTP request kicks in, it will do the magic, like do the component dirty marking. From the push pipe, basically calls mark for check. It will call mark view dirty for the parent, for the parent, for the parent, for the and it will again re-render down the application. So with the async path, we are still in this pool-based approach. The HTTP request emits, it ends up in the async path. Async path says, go from here to the top, and then re-render everything to myself again so that I can display the new state. So now imagine, not now imagine. So now you maybe know that there are two change detection methods that you can call manually. There is mark for check. That I, that I explained to you already. And there is also detect changes. I'm not sure if anybody of you knows yeah, that yeah. or ever used it. Maybe a quick check. Did anybody of you ever yeah, use it? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah
3: I have. I have yeah. Why did you do that? Mainly I did for uh, complex calculation. Uh, and it, after that, I, it, it was by, by default on PUS, mm-hmm. the strategy. So once that's done, then then we detect change so that it can be reflected on the system. So what detect changes does in your example that you sketched here,
2: you call detect changes on the change detector f of a vari- of one of those components. In your case, the component that you had with push and whatever, you you, you like inject it over dependency injection, the change detector f, and then you call it change detector f dot detect changes, right? And mm. what happened was Angular only re evaluated this very single component and maybe their child components, but not top to bottom. Correct? Yeah. Yes. So, detect changes is a way how we can detect the changes, re evaluate the template of only one single component and not the whole app. It's mm. like local. You have local explicit change detection. This is the stuff that React was doing ever since. In React, you have set state. Whenever you call set state, the component will re-render. It will not automatically re-render when about an event listener fires. It will only re-render if you call set state. Right. So detect changes is the first bridge to set state in React. It enables us to do explicit state management. So now imagine my use case where you have the HTTP request plugged to an async pipe in the template. And now imagine you create something that looks like the async pipe but does something different. Internally, it will subscribe to the observable will receive the new value. But instead of calling for every new value, mark for check and re-render the whole component path from the top to the bottom, if you call it detect changes, it will only re-evaluate this very component, right? Mm. So the push pipe basically next to a little bit nicer management of internals and typing and so on, does exactly the same as the async pipe, but with local change detection, It calls detect changes under the hood internally. So this is what the push pipe does. And if you got that, I want to basically go one step further. And I want to stress out the downsides of the push pipe. Like, why, what you have to do to get all the downsides away. And then this should lead, obviously, to. Uh, I had a punchline when I started to talk about the push pipe and then so less Angular and, and all the new stuff that, that is now on the roadmap. I had a punchline that was the async pipe is boring. <laughs> really <laughs> cool. I love it a lot. The async pipe is boring. And I hope. That when I explained my push pipe is has downsides, I can also use my new punchline. The push pipe is boring, and I can pitch to you why you should use instead of the push pipe the RX directive, for example. Would this uh, fit to your schedule, to your agenda of, of our discussion? Oh yeah, First, this-
3: yeah, yeah.
0: Especially from the idea that hey, look, you know, there's there's this option which is the default option. Okay, now there's this push path option, but hey. There's this other option that may be better in certain circumstances. I, I, like, I like giving people kind of the, the idea of the way they want to approach this. Yeah, very good. Good, broad context. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So
2: we discussed what Mark for Check is doing in the async pipe. We know that the push pipe is calling detect changes internally, and that it will only re-evaluate this very component. Now, let's talk about some technical problems that we had to solve with the push pipe, and this will automatically lead to the third option, which I believe is the most beautiful and efficient way how you can deal with that. So, imagine you have a template with not one push pipe inside, but 10 and you emit to all 10 pipes the same or a different value. It doesn't matter in the same tick, like the browser has executes code, code is synchronously. And in the same tick, he could execute multiple of those async pipe calls. uh, sorry, push pipe calls. And what we would end up in is calling detect changes for those 10 push pipes, 10 times in a row. On the same component even if calling it one time would be enough because okay i changed 10 different parts in my template but one time re-evaluating all the 10 parts is enough i don't need to 10 times re evaluate all the 10 things is it already like something that you understand mm-hmm. a little... okay so you. so we would call it 10 times in a row mm-hmm. and Maybe, and now we start to get nerdy. Now we start to get nerdy. So, do you know the flag where you can configure zone that is called ng zone event coalescing? ng zone event coalescing. Did you ever hear that? Event coalescing? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Coalescing. Coalescing is a concept. I introduced it already back then in the uh, ngRx package, but as i said this was a very minimal approach minimal implementation proof of concept which does not not respect all of that but even back then it was already the problem so we faced it that it took longer the app ever slower if we have multiple push peps because all the synchronous things so coalescing technically what does it do coalescing tells me or it helps me to say i want to wrap the detect changes call in another helper that I can call a hundred, a million times in a row, and it will not do anything until a certain time period has passed. So imagine within the next tick browser tick, let's make it easier because browser ticks and execution context, let's talk about milliseconds. It's not correct, but visually you can think about it easier. So let's say you write a function that says, render component and you can call that function a million of times in a row it will wait for the duration of five to ten milliseconds and only after that duration it will say okay render component in the last 10 milliseconds was called a million of times i know that re-evaluating my component would only pay off one time then all the new data is done so after 10 milliseconds i don't do it a million of times i just realized that it was called one or many times and only call it once mm-hmm. so i have a time frame i have a time frame in which i can could high frequently call a method and it will not execute right away it will wait until multiple things settle i can merge i can coalesce them together into one single call and then call it only once. And this was our first big hit in performance. We demonstrated that introducing this coalescing strategy on component level gave us a huge boost in performance and was like the first sign that we are really on the right track, that we can really like hit the target, provide tools, provide technology stack that is completely different than what we are used to do in Angular with the same well-known mindset or meta-model, mental model, like types and so on, or directives. So we tried to bake the new mental model into directives and link to to easier things. But still, we had way more thoughts. And when you think about the pushback, so what we did is we went down from re-evaluating the full component dirty path we switched from that approach to only re evaluating one single component. A huge difference already. But we had more thoughts. Think about the following use case. Again, this component with 10 push pipes inside, but this time, not only the 10 of them change at the same time, but only one of them changes at the same time. So, what you would do is, You would go to your component template and you would re-evaluate the one thing that changed and all the other nine component, uh, sorry, template expressions too, because you cannot really evaluate a template partially only there or only here. You know what I mean? If you evaluate the template, any single template expression in this template will get re-evaluated. So we had a lot of thoughts on that and we basically came up with the idea that we can leverage already existing building blocks in angular i'm not sure if you're familiar with structural directives but i'm sure you are familiar with ngif and ng4 yeah. for example
3: mm-hmm.
2: right this is stuff we know so let me give you a little bit of a hint what is happening let's talk about ngif if it is small it is simple ngif helps you to display a snippet of html only if the condition is true. If not, you either hide it or you show a fallback template for the false state, right? And those two templates internally are managed as embedded view. So in Angular, the small template snippets that you show and hide are maintained internally in something that is called embedded view. And if you reverse engineer or read the codes, the source code of embedded view, you will realize an embedded view also has a detect changes method so mm-hmm. not only the components change detector f has a change detection method which which will reevaluate everything but the small tiny template snippets inside of structural directives also have the same logic and you can call change detection only there for this tiny snippet so this was our first, step in where we said, like, okay, this could be an option for us. This could be something where we should investigate more research work and see if we can manage to do it somehow better in that way. And the outcome was tremendous. So, mm-hmm. what we did when we were done with our pushpad researchers, we already shipped our XLET which already had this embedded view inside, obviously, because how else should you create an embedded uh, structural directive without using Angular's building blocks, right? So <laughs> we have that in place already. What we did is we, we tried to figure out a way on how we can make only this very piece re-rendering. And it was cool because we already had observables in place. We already knew how to structure and architect applications in a very nice and elegant way with reactive approaches like in a way where you don't need to learn all the overhead but just focus on your problems the stuff that i talked at the beginning and we plugged basically an observable into a structural directive and said we will only call detect changes on this embedded view when the observable that i connected to this structural directive is firing oh interesting and this, so is
3: it like track by? Sorry, sorry to interrupt.
2: So track like, by is a method that you use in Rx4. Uh, sorry, Ng4. Ng4, yeah. Uh, what I speak about is like the the underlying building blocks in Angular. In Ng4, in NgIf, in NgSwitch, there are always two things that you have to maintain internally. Uh, one one thing is the embedded view, and the other thing is the view container reference. So, every structural directive maintains a view container, may it be a container for the list, a container for the if else template, whatever, and then the templates themselves, the embedded views. And we basically, now my battery starts to get low. And we basically managed to uh, figure out a way how to go on with that. I try to explain now the other downside that we figured out in that set. So, when we figured out that we could connect it the next problem was okay now we were like able instead of re-evaluating 10 things we only re-evaluated one thing so we even made i guess this was the biggest step in performance we will ever make <laughs> yeah. well that makes sense yes. you only have to do the work once instead of 10 times so yes and you don't you don't consider a component you only consider one expression right. but mm-hmm. If you have a big application, it could happen that, again, 10 expressions across the whole app would fire at the same time, right? And you can never know if it happens or not. It's impossible to, like, predict. So what we did is we introduced basically notion of the frame budget. If you know, like, bad applications always have frame drops. Frame drops means they stuck, they have janky scrolling. This is called a frame drop not a good frame rate and we managed to tell angular you do all the rendering work but if you are in progress of rendering and you realize that the budget of the current frame is close to the frame drop you stop you give the browser time to brief and then you go on with the next rendering package and in this way we basically were able to introduce cutting edge future technology right away that can can run now in angular and is doing the identical stuff as react concurrent mode is doing like the 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 secret behind React concurrent mode and why you have that highly efficient and highly reactive interactive user interfaces is they all have notion of frame budget when they render and the browser will never freeze and this is what we maintain what we accomplished we accomplished change detection in Angular, that will never make your app freeze. Isn't that amazing?
3: Wow. Yeah, 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 that's cool.
2: <laughs> now I want to go see,
0: because whenever I hear this, I'm just like, okay, let, let's let's Wait. see if we can break this, right? I want to write some script that just goes and <laughs> like grabs a whole bunch of stuff and then shakes it and dumps it out and tries to figure to out, out exactly how to break
2: we, it. We did good issues. We did good issues and good research. If you look in the Rx Angular repository, issue number 304, we'll show you how we implemented all the concepts that I explained to you now in NG4. Like we don't call it NG4, we call it RX4, but we basically man- managed to introduce all those technologies in list renderings like sibling components. This is the hardest problem you will face in pretty much any front-end framework, how to, land, how to render a list of, I don't know, a lot of things that are costly after another <laughs> without freezing the browser. Yeah. So this is stuff you can check out online. you see how we researched, what we implemented, what the measurements are. We basically measure everything. We do measures, we do statistics, we compare them to other approaches, and we really ship and aim to ship cutting edge high performance stuff. That on top also brings a very nice developer experience. How do you measure that? Well. We do it in the most accurate way we can. We basically take the Chrome DevTools and we measure render performance in flame charts, milliseconds. We see how the recalculation is done. We see which scripting parts in the whole process take more or less time. And our hard numbers are basically milliseconds Milliseconds and how stressed the browser is. In, in the issue 304 in our Angular repository, you can see the difference. We make screenshots from the identical use case and we screenshot it like Angular native way and our way. And you really visually see where and at which interactions. We measured like four different interactions where and how it will pay off. And it is really a very accurate and, and, and will give a good uh, prediction of what you can assume if you use this technology in your application. So, how do I plug it into my app? You just install RxAngular CDK, RxAngular template, and then you use the Rx4, the RxLet, the push pipe, which I would not really recommend as the directives are way more performant, but still it will be a little bit better. And you just use them in your template. Mm, okay. If you are a little bit more advanced, like you don't have to change any mindset. Go to your code. If you see ng4, replace it with Rx4. If you see ngEffect with the async pipe, replace it with the RxLet if you have an ng if replace it with rx if you don't have to change your mindset or code a lot if you like it you can also say okay i understand also the technical internals there and i want to boost my performance somewhere else then you can also take scheduling techniques and other observable helpers that we created for you and you can tweak the performance of ngrx of your http requests of your global state management like we can basically we have a lot of building blocks that leverages really expertise knowledge in a very easy way that you can plug into if you understand it, into multiple different other libraries too. Gotcha. So you said we were going to get to RxLet. Yes. RxLet and Rx4 are the things that we should discuss. Those are the structural directives that I explained. Like RxLet is what I would suggest. If you say I'm interested in RxAngular, what is the push pipe? I would say the push pipe is boring. Check out RxLet. <laughs> <laughs> RxLet is the structural directive that, that enables you to, in one template, only enable this one single template expression and not all other template expressions in the same template. Like Rx4, RxLet, RxIf, all those structural directives that we ship should encapsulate the Angular mindset and ship it with all the performance impact uh, improvements under the hood. Easy to use, very high in impact.
0: Nice. So you just pull in the, the library, and then you just use Rxlet instead of... Yeah.
2: Instead something. of if async hack, or you right. use the Rx4 instead of ng 4 or that stuff. Right. Yeah. It's like stuff that is really easy to do in your application. You can go there, it is like two character change, and whoop, you will have your benefit. If you like it, you can adopt your architecture a little bit more. You will realize you can delete a lot of code now if you use uh, the state package, for example. It helps you to shrink down local and global compo- state management to like hundreds of lines and like from hundreds of lines down to, to a very few. And uh, those are things that you can uh, use the library for. Very cool. It and is, I guess it, it all is.
0: just tests out the same way like if i'm testing my
2: code i could just swap these out and it doesn't really so for testing we have say se- we have uh, similar strategies the thing is our rendering is asynchronous and is chunked and you maybe know that asynchronous code is not that easy to test so mm-hmm. we say cool when you write tests there there it is you have one global configuration that tells the library look i'm in a testing set set now keep all the performance part, do it synchronous, even if it is slower, but the, t- the testing of the library will work like a chunk. Just switch the, the strategy to testing strategy and then you're able to run your test again.
3: Gotcha. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's worth trying once. <laughs> I think everybody will love like the easiest part is just go to VS Code, search engine for replace it, and that should work. This is
2: how it should work, yes. Uh, yeah. You will encounter some problems, of course, because we ship it with all the performance pro- improvements on by default. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're running some problems and you don't want to understand why there is a problem, you go to this very component and switch the render strategy to something that we call native. It is. I think that's his
0: battery going out. Yeah, let's go ahead and do some pics and just start wrapping up. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, And I've asked them one question. And that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. If he's on in four minutes, he can do picks too. Mm
3: -hmm. Okay, so I'll start. Yeah, go Um, ahead. Yeah, so today again, I will... Pick a book that is from Robin Sharma. I think it, th- this one is also a famous one. Is the 5 M club. It's uh, the one thing I get it from there. Is if you want to do something before a thought hit, to hits to your mind, just do it. So that it will not, no negative thoughts. And all. So that's the one, best thing I got from that book. I think that's the pick for the day. Super. All right.
1: Sonny, do you have some picks? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I really don't have any picks today apart from the fact that I just want to watch France and Germany play and I also get to go to Jiu-Jitsu later on with (laughs) the grandmaster of my Judo actually coming in to train us today. So no picks from my side today.
0: (laughs) France versus Germany, huh?
1: Yeah, that's a tough game. (laughs) Yeah, which which cup is this or is it UEFA? This is the European champion. So, there is the country version of the Champions League, the Euro- uh-huh. European Cup. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. How did I miss that this was going on?
1: You're in America. Everything is the World <laughs> Cup over there or the World Championship.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, now now I have to go back and find some matches to watch.
1: Well, it we only just started. This is just the today is going to be the last version of the first round. So there's like two more rounds at least oh, for each group. Okay. So you're, you're you're pretty good.
0: I'm I'm in good shape. Okay, I got it. I just have to figure out where I can watch it then here in the U.S. Because I I love watching the yeah Champions League and yeah the European Cup. I'll actually throw out a funny story about the the European Champions, not Champions League. Sorry, the it it's the UEFA the Euro Cup. When I was, I lived in Italy for two years. I was a missionary, and uh, while I was there, we we were out uh, talking to people because that's what we did—just we talk to people on the street. And during the, it was Italy versus France for the the final, and uh, this is back in like 2000. <laughs> and so we're we're talking to people, and we could not find anybody out on the street. Like the streets were totally dead during the the, the game, right? And so we just went into a little uh, cafe and just chatted with the people there while they watched the the game. And yeah, we decided to head home bef- before the game was over. Right. Cause it went to, it went to penalty kicks. And uh, so we're walking down the street and we could, we could tell what was going on because, you know, France would go up. And if they, if they kicked it into the goal, you'd hear just echoing down the street. Oh, right. And if Italy scored, then you'd hear cheering like out the windows, right? Because all their windows were open because it was warm. And it it was really, really funny. So we get about a block from home and the game ends and Italy wins, right? (laughs) And uh, anyway, all of a sudden, we can't even get across the street. Well, yeah, because everybody just went out and got in their cars and we're just driving around and waving flags and going crazy. And we're just going home's right, right over there. But yeah. Uh, I I love me some soccer. I I will watch soccer drives my wife crazy, but yeah. Anyway,
1: that's interesting. (laughs) Nah, nah.
0: I'm going to throw out a couple more picks here real quick. What do I want to pick? I got so much stuff to pick. I've really been enjoying the book psycho cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. I think I might've picked that last week or last time, but I'm really, really digging it. And it's, it's just terrific. And then the other pick that I have, and this is this is something that I've kind of been getting into lately, is just between Zapier and Discourse, uh, which is a forum software. I'm I'm really I'm really getting a lot done with with that kind of stuff. And then finally, the last thing that I'm going to pick, and this I'm just going to do a, a kind of a quick rundown of what it is. So when I need to get focused work done, what I'm finding is if I if I schedule a block of time. I wasn't so good at showing up for those, right? Cuz I'd schedule it and the only person to hold me accountable was me. But I found this service called Focus Blocks. It's actually made by a friend of mine. And if you're interested, you can go to devchat.tv/focus and and sign up for it if you want. But what it is is you go in and you sign up for a time on their calendar and then you get on the Zoom call and while you're on the Zoom call, you basically commit to what you're going to try and get done during that hour and then you go ahead and you, you basically work on it, but you have your camera on so they can see you. So you have a little bit of accountability that you're not like getting up and wandering off. They tell you to set your phone aside so you're not playing around on it while you're supposed to be getting stuff done. They start and stop each hour with kind of some breathing exercises and stretches and stuff like that. And uh, it has been, honestly, I think I've gotten more done over the last couple of weeks than I have in a couple of months before that just trying to keep everything running with devchat.tv while having a full-time job which has been excruciating but um, anyway it's it's just been it's been awesome i cannot tell you how impactful this has been over the last few weeks to just have this going cuz yeah if i have an hour or two to work yeah i'll schedule a couple of focus blocks and then i'll i'll just jump on and do it and because i can kind of get into that rhythm i get into the zone pretty fast and i just i just knock stuff out like crazy so If you want to check it out, devchat.tv slash focus. The deal there is if you want to be on when I'm on, right? So you can wave at me on the camera. They keep you muted, right? So you don't bother each other while you're trying to work. But you can see other people on the camera. But yeah, while we're getting started, you can wave at me. I'll wave back. I'm usually on early in the morning, US time. So if you're in Europe, that's going to be in the the afternoon or evening. So yeah, like six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning is, is usually when I'm doing my focus blocks. I'm looking at doing some over my lunch break. I've been working from home so it's not a big deal, right? I just turn and get on the other computer. But yeah, it's it's been amazing because I can just sit down and I can just get this focused work done. And sometimes they don't go quite as planned. Like this morning I wound up troubleshooting WordPress instead of getting the work done that I needed to get done because I needed WordPress to work and it wouldn't cooperate. But little WordPress. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah. m- most of the time, the rest of the time, I wind up getting just a ton of work done because I just get in the zone and just knock stuff out. So that's going to be my pick.
1: I've got it open. I'm gonna. I like the way it sounds. I'm gonna 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 have a look at it.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. So I'm really liking that. One other thing I just want to shout out about since we have another minute is uh, we did an episode with Eric Simons from StackBlitz and we were talking about the web container stuff that they showed off running Node.js in the browser natively at Google I.O. And so mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're looking for stuff like that, you know, just some interesting technology, we, we kind of dove a little bit into some of the other implications of what this technology means as far as being able to run stuff natively in the browser. So if you're looking for something like that, it's really cool, and I think it's going to change the way that we do web development going forward because there are a lot of interesting implications as to what is there. So, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop shouting stuff out now. Michael, do you have some picks for us? Tech related or
2: or anything? Anything. anything. You should should start to learn some dance. I I like dancing a lot as well as singing. I guess Mm. everybody should either start to dance or sing. (laughs) It makes life more enjoyable a lot. Other than this, you should book my performance audits for your project as a shameless plug. (laughs) There you go. Where do people go to do that? Where? They can ping me at the moment. I don't have the landing page for performance audits online, but (gasps) I have an email address. I have Twitter. Ping me, this is the the way how people did it so far. (laughs) surprisingly works. But in the future, I will have dedicated landing pages that really stress out like what we do, why are we like outstanding good and so Mm -hmm. on. So this is the stuff that you will see soon online. Other than this, you can ping me on Twitter or email. Michael at Latke.at. Awesome. Yeah, if you can put that in the chat, then we'll
0: make sure that people can get a hold of it. But yeah, this has been super fun. Really interesting stuff. I'd love to dive a little bit more into performance, so maybe we'll throw together a part two. And sure. yeah, we'll get that on the calendar and we'll make it happen. But yeah, thanks for coming. This was awesome. Thanks too. All right, folks. Till next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.